BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today's episode is brought to you by Healthy Nest. Go to www.healthynesting.com for amazing, eco-friendly, child-friendly diapers, wipes, and house cleaning products that are healthy for the world and for our children. Today's guest is Professor Adele Diamond, who is one of the most important neuroscientists we have today. Professor Diamond runs the Developmental Cognitive Neuroscience Lab at the University of British Columbia. And anytime you hear executive function skills, executive function based skills, self-regulation, cognition and learning, those kinds of things are really her wheelhouse and her pioneering research has led so many people to understand how children's brains operate and that these are learned skills that we can really make a difference in how our children's brain develops. So today, given the state of the world, I wanted to talk to Professor Diamond about what we know that we can do to help promote executive function skills in children in a time when traditional academics are going to be very compromised. And so we're talking about what executive function skills are a really layman's way of looking at it would be to say that they're kind of the air traffic control system of the brain, but Professor Diamond's going to get into that. And how you can use the everyday opportunities in your home, where we're still spending quite a bit of time, to help promote these skills in children and really talking through what's going on for them right now and how best to support them during this time. And this is also an evergreen topic. I was going to talk to Professor Diamond either way because executive function skills more than IQ are predictive of so many things that we consider quote unquote success in life. So I hope you enjoy this. And if you do, please DM me and certainly don't forget to subscribe, rate, write a review and tell me which episode you're writing the review about. And you can go to my Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. And now we're going to talk to Professor Diamond. 
Hey guys, it's Gabby from What's Gabby Cooking, and I figured we've all got a little extra time on our hands right now. Hello, social distancing. So what better time to start a podcast than now? Come hang every Monday, Wednesday, Friday for the foreseeable future while we learn how to put those staple ingredients from your pantry to work. I'll be taking calls every podcast to answer your burning questions on what to make with a mishmash of ingredients, along with talking tips and tricks in the kitchen, how to do easy substitutions and different recipes, and who knows what else. Corona quarantine, here we come. Even mild stress doesn't appear to be good for you. You know, wow. the Har- yeah, the Harvard Center and everybody's been talking about beneficial stress. Me too. Oh, that's so interesting. Tell me more. Well, we were looking specifically at performance anxiety, social evaluative stress. Mm -hmm. So other studies have found that one genotype group is harmed by that, but another genotype group isn't helped. They're just not hurt. And we pushed it a little further and used even milder stress, and we found a little bit of benefit in the group that they nobody had found benefit before. Okay. But the bottom line is that unless you have that genotype and unless the stress is really, really mild, it's not good for you. It's actually detrimental. And so in this case, you're, you were looking at outcomes of performance in, what, in academics or other uh, things? Both academic subjects and executive functions. And how did you create stress? So what we did, which was so mild, is we just had a man and a woman from the lab uh, standing behind the person as they were doing the test, looking over their shoulder. Wow. That's all we did. By the way, that would diminish my performance. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too, I think. But a lot of people use the Trier social stress test because that's the gold standard. And that's much more stressful. They all of a sudden tell you, you have to give a three to five minute talk and they have already primed the audience to look either bored or not show any expression during your talk. So you feel terrible. And then you're supposed to do mental math. And if you make any mistake, you have to start from the beginning. Right. I'm again, stressed hearing that. (laughs) So, so, and how old are the subjects in this? They're young adults. Young adults. Okay. Because what I'm leading up to is how these new findings, what I wanted to talk to you about originally, and I think we can still talk about it, I wanted to talk to you about how since my guess, my humble opinion maybe, is that academics are going to suffer, traditional academics are going to suffer given that we're going to be online for a lot of, a lot of people are going to be online or they're going to be in person, but masked and socially distant. So my thinking is that what we could focus on as parents are executive functions, strengths or skill Uh building. And I thought, well, let's hear from you about how we can think through that so that this isn't just a wash of a year. And also so that we can think of some of the benefits. On the other hand, what I'm hearing from you is this added thing, which is these- Try Try to make stress as low as possible. Right. So trying to make stress as low as possible in the context of also saying- A very stressful situation. Yeah. What, what do you think that means? But I, but I think it's worth noting because if the priority for our brains to learn and to function is to reduce the stress, then as parents are setting up their homeschool situation or their hybrid situation, depending on what state you live in, 
you know, what do we prioritize in terms of what environment kids and parents need to thrive or even forget thrive? Let's go for just like function. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the great things about executive functions is that lots of different activities can improve them. So carpentry can improve them. A lot of things you might do around the house can improve them. So a lot of things where it's helping the parents with chores or yes. fix-it jobs or whatever, mm -hmm. kids can en often enjoy a lot and improve their executive function. And the parents can get the work they need to get done at the same time. So backing up, because I, I, I want to deep dive into this, for people who've never heard of executive function skills, would you give your definition of executive function? Executive functions are um, a family of mental abilities mm. needed to concentrate and pay attention, apply what you've learned, think creatively, make plans and follow them. The core executive functions are inhibitory control, working memory, and cognitive flexibility. Inhibitory control includes things like um, giving a considered response rather than an impulsive one, resisting temptation, resisting distraction, staying focused. Um, so it includes things like self-control, discipline, selective attention. The strong inclination you might want to resist is to maybe grab another child's toy, to butt in line, to hurt somebody if they've just hurt your feelings, etc. The second core executive function is working memory, holding information in mind and working with it. So translating instructions into action plans, considering alternatives, updating one's thinking or planning, thinking about what you might do next in the future or what you've done in the past, all of that is working memory. And the third core executive function is cognitive flexibility, being able to think outside the box, uh, look at something from different perspectives, change mm -hmm. how you think about something, take advantage of serendipity or find your way around a problem. So for example, um, maybe there's somebody who you don't agree with on most anything. You don't agree with them on politics. You don't agree with them on religion. But from another perspective, Maybe you can find commonalities in your taste in music or maybe a commitment to social justice. So cognitive flexibility is about reframing, seeing things in different ways. Mm. And executive functions have been called the mental toolkit for success mm -hmm. because they're so critical for almost anything you want to do in life. So given that and given the state of things, now I want to go into what are ways to look around your house in the current climate. And by the way, this, this would hold true even if we weren't in a pandemic. But what are those things, that, those muscles that we can develop and so we can get back to um, household chores, for example? So think about assigning somebody a chore. Usually it's not just one thing. It's do this and after you've done that, do that and then do this. You need working memory to hold that in mind. It is taxing working memory to do that, so you're helping it to develop. Often you need to resist distraction when you're doing the chores. You have to concentrate. Mm -hmm. For example, for a young child to pour a pitcher into a glass or to take a spoonful of beans and move them from one jar or one bowl to another takes a lot of focus concentration. 
It's developing that ability to be able to focus and concentrate. And kids love to help with kitchen chores and kitchen chores are great for developing concentration and focused attention. I would have kids help with uh, power tools, with carpentry, with anything you're doing around the house. They love it and it develops executive functions. It gives them a sense of confidence and feeling that they can do things. Everybody wants to feel respected. Everybody wants to have the opportunity to use their mind and feel challenged. Uh, Everybody wants to feel valued. Everybody wants to feel loved. Everybody wants to have a say. Instead of just being told, you do this, you do that, they'd like to have a say in how things are done from little kids to any age. And actually, we should say, this is something that isn't just you come out and you've got this fully developed brain that's capable of getting to the the peak of your executive functions, right? This takes a couple decades. That's right. Exactly. It takes a couple decades. So your experience has a big effect on how it develops. Since your experience has a huge effect on how your executive functions develop, what is an experience like this? I mean, can we even speak to what an experience like this could have on how executive functions develop? Is there a world in which maybe we're going to be able to pull more from our executive functions, though we're, we're maybe getting less in other areas? Or am I just... just well, I think that executive functions are something that does not need to take a hit now because there's so many different ways to help it develop. So it's something that parents can do at home without changing things a whole lot and without having to feel like they have to learn the child's school lessons. And now's a good time to learn certain lessons. These are really stressful on certain times. Mm -hmm. And when children are stressed or anxious, that can manifest in lots of different ways. It might manifest as withdrawn behavior, or losing their temper more easily, yelling, refusing to listen, getting upset more easily, having trouble self-regulating, having trouble with inhibitory control of their emotional state and of their thoughts. And so we adults need to stop and consider where a behavior is coming from when a child's misbehaving. It may be coming from a place of vulnerability, and the child may need consoling instead of correction. All children, I think, want to be good. They don't stead out, you know, wanting to be bad. So right. often when they misbehave, there's a reason. Maybe they didn't understand the instructions. Maybe um, they didn't get enough sleep. Maybe the child's trying to tell us that he or she is hurting in some way. So this is a good opportunity for parents to pick up on what's happening to their children and respond to it, to be attentive and to listen. Yep. Also, it'll help a lot to the extent that their child can have a say in how this is done, mm-hmm. maybe when it's done or the way it's done. It can be a very small thing, like the order in which things are done. So what but needs that, to get done today, having right. the kids contribute to setting up what the day looks like and what order they're going to do Abs- certain absolutely. things. Absolutely. So research has shown that if you give people a choice, even if young children or older children, adults, it doesn't matter, they will buy into the activity more, be more willing to work at it and get more out of it. Even if what you're telling them to do is exactly what they would have picked themselves to do anyway. There's a difference between you're telling me and my choosing it of my own volition. 
Right. That's so great because it just gives us so many opportunities to come up with things with kids, have them really feel like they've They've, have some ownership. Yeah. yeah. And, and have some respect. You know, it shows respect for them if we say we want to hear your opinion. If stress diminishes performance in any form, is it on us to sort of pause if kids are in a stressful situation? Let's say, let's go back to the, you're on the computer homeschooling, your parent is kind of watching you and that causes a little bit more stress, resetting up the the scene so that kids can learn and not feel so, um, I don't know if the word is watched or I'm just using the example. That yep. You yep. Absolutely. So you can, you know, press reset and start again. Sometimes a child will be stressed because things aren't working on the computer and they're making mistakes and they can't figure out what they're doing wrong. And that's very frustrating. And that's also a good time to take a break and reset. And to take a few minutes to do a mindfulness exercise, like a few deep breaths when you're feeling that way is really helpful. And what about taking physical breaks? Do we need to do more of that? Yes. So for example, in Finland, where the kids do so well in school, every 45 minutes, they take a 15 minute exercise break. That's a great thing to implement in your homeschooling. Yeah. You know, it can be jumping jacks. It can be going outside for a few minutes. It can be anything. Often children know what they should do and want to do it, but still don't act correctly because they're not able to inhibit a strong response to do something else. It's not that they're trying to be bad. It's not that they don't understand the instructions. They understand the instructions. They want to follow them, but they have terrible trouble doing that. And what can help them is to take a momentary break so that they don't immediately do the prepotent response, but instead do the response that they know is right, but takes them longer to think about. So for example, if a child is doing mirror reversal writing, Mm -hmm. if you put in front of the child uh, a little card that shows how to write the letter or number correctly, And then every time the child is to write that letter or number, have the child put down his or her pencil and pick up a red pencil and write it in red. Yes. Often that uh, automatic tendency to do the reversal writing goes away that day or the next day because when they have a break, then they're not doing the automatic response so much. They're more likely to do the correct response. And doing that repeatedly makes that the new habit instead of the old habit of doing things reversed. It's so great because you can translate that to so many things when you when you notice that kind of automatic behavior, just finding new habits that make you pause for a second. That's right. That's right. Like um, the PASS program has children um, get in what they call turtle when they're really upset at somebody. So instead of hitting somebody when you're really upset at them, hold yourself really tightly, get inside your shell. And What that does is it gives you something alternative to do instead of saying, just wait and don't hit the other child because just wait isn't going to work. Right. And the other thing they tell you to do is something that helps you calm down. Because you're holding yourself. So you're giving yourself that. That is a fantastic way. I did not know about that because I think parents are getting a little bit stressed out and snapping. And so the, that buildup of Right. When they're stressed, they can't be the parent they want to be. When they're stressed, their children pick up on it and they become stressed. So it becomes a vicious cycle. So 
parents really need to try to take time to address their needs and try to reduce their stress. It's not being selfish. It's being considerate of your child and your family to do that. Here, here. Yeah. Right. I mean, the difference, if you can take those few minutes to, to address yourself, you can make a huge difference in how you parent. So it's absolutely not selfish. It just happens to benefit us. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I tell my kids. This keeps lasting longer than we think. And so I fall back on like on balance. If you have that one stable, loving caregiver with boundaries and support, with the rest is a little bit gravy, but it's, it's hard. Absolutely. To- You're totally right. A hundred percent. We know that the single greatest mitigating factor to early adversity or stress is terrific parenting, responsive parenting. If the parent is there for the child, the child can get through almost anything. So that's what I fall back on. And I feel like it's the one benefit of being a developmental psychologist because for the <laughs> most part, it's not because I'm like, they're not going to learn in masks. They're not going to learn on the screen. Like I feel like my, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting so negative. So I have to grab onto that because then it feels like, okay, I have to remember the big, big picture, but I don't know when we get to, you know, the difference between the lower stress and just, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, it's one thing to say that having some stress makes you resilient. I think that's absolutely true. I think what we're finding is in the moment when you're in that stress, you're not functioning as well. You may learn by repeatedly experiencing it to be more resilient and to be ah. able to handle it better. But at, at the time it's happening, it, you're not functioning as well as if you weren't stressed. So that's an amazing distinction. And I'm so glad you said that. So it's, it's still not going to be all bad, that right. stress. It's just that in that moment, if you're looking for performance or best behavior or right. top of anything, you're, you're actually not going to get it. Right. So we're we're addressing like some employers or some educators who think that they have to add stress in the situation to get the best performance. Uh-huh. And that's not true. Okay. That is really interesting. But it's really interesting because it makes it feel like, okay, so then our priority needs to be if you're thinking about how you're going to do in that moment, getting that mindfulness back and finding right. a way to get back to Right. Uh-huh. Worrying about how others think of you, how you, what they're going to think of your performance, how well you're performing compared to other people. None of that is beneficial for your doing well. For your doing well, you want to be in the moment. You want to just be focused on what you're doing and be completely in that. What are other ways to get ourselves in the moment of performance? Well, one of the easiest ways is to do something you love because mm. then it comes almost naturally that you're totally in the moment. And I often tell parents that the best way to improve their child's executive function is to have their child do something that their child really loves that requires and challenges executive function. And that could be almost anything. It could be learning to play an instrument. It could be martial arts. It could be gardening. It could be almost anything. And I have a question about that. If a kid is having trouble concentrating you know, especially right now, again, a lot of kids are kind of veering off of what they, they're supposed to be doing. 
And because it's online, they can kind of get away with doing other things at the same time. So let's say your child is drawing while they're supposed to be paying attention in class because that's something they love. Does that help them de-stress so they can take in information or does that just distract them? Depends on the child. I was just going to say, except for we don't know because it depends (laughs) on the child. And so Um, you have to kind of investigate how your child does. Right, right. I mean, some people do their homework better when they're listening to music. Other people, the music is completely distracting and they can't do their work when it's playing. Yeah, so it drives it depends, me crazy. It depends a lot on the person. Okay. But to build those, those muscles you're talking about, finding something that you love, it's not about picking something like martial arts if your kid is not into that. It's about- No, no. It has to be something your kid is into. That's the most critical variable. That's more important than anything else. Because if your child doesn't love it, your child's not going to want to spend time doing it. And it's not going to be interested in pushing him or herself to get better. Hmm. What you want is something that the child is so committed to that he wants to spend all these hours doing it. He, he or she wants to keep getting better. And they're getting joy from it. They're building self-confidence from it. And they're exercising their executive functions. And what happens, I can just hear my sister saying this, what happens um, when she feels like her, my nephews want to get their passionate and amazing at Fortnite <laughs> and that's what they want to get really good at. Are they going to get any of those benefits because they're committing to this, but it's a video game? It has to be something that challenges executive functions and keeps challenging them at a higher level. So I'm not familiar with Fortnite. I mean, so I don't want to say just blatantly that no computer game could do that because I can imagine a game that might require working memory, that might uh, require you to think outside the box, that you might have to inhibit your first inclination. You know, that's actually a really good point. So parents can just look at the games. And so if, if that's something that the kids are doing that they're passionate about, but it's not pushing them in that way, find other ones that will. That's right. That's a good compromise. <laughs> <laughs> I like compromise. <laughs> it just feels like reality right now is just all about our cognitive flexibility. Yes, yes. And parents are juggling so much and such serious concerns like, you know, how are we going to get food on the table? How are we going to pay our yeah. rent? I mean, these aren't minor um, niceties. These right. are, you know, essential things that, that really are concerning and there's no way around that. But it can help to talk to your child about how you're feeling and what, you, what you're thinking. So the child can understand where things are coming from. Mm-hmm. It's you know, not just there. Right. Un- inex- unexplained. Right. So let's talk through that. If, you're, if you are feeling, rather than feeling your stress and letting it come out in snapping or whatever, have a moment where you explain to your child what's going on for you, not to, not to burden them with that, but just right. so they're not confused as to what they've done wrong or, or why you seem to be in a different mood now or evolve. Also, also a secondary benefit of that is you, you probably heard that reading is good for your child. Well, <laughs> the biggest benefit of reading for your child is in the conversation that occurs in the context of the reading the conversational back and forth, listening and responding. That's what drives the benefits most. John Gabrielli's lab came out with a study earlier this year that showed it account for over 50% of the 
benefit to broker's area. It's not the reading. It's the talking back and forth. So if you explain why you're feeling the way you're feeling or what's going on and uh-huh. your child responds and you respond, that's the conversation that drives language development, that drives vocabulary development, that drives working memory development. And that drives emotional development. I mean, yep. just just your even understanding how you feel through the, or perspective taking. So yep. actually that's great because for children, even babies, we know that when, you, when we're reading, we're starting to ask them questions. It's not just reading at a baby. There's a fun book to read with your, with your daughters, which is called Poems in Two Voices, I think. Poems in Two Voices? Yes. And it's for two people to read out loud, taking turns. Oh, that's So great. one person reads when it's in regular font and the other person reads when it's in italics. Thank you. What are some, I wanted to just mention some, games and more playful activities that families can do to, again, think about how we're growing this family of skills at home when we can't really focus on classical academics? Well, one thing that most anybody can do is to do a walking on a line exercise Uh because most floors will have lines between the wood or have lines on the carpet or have lines in the linoleum. So mm-hmm. most places you can find lines. Yeah. And if it's easy for everybody to walk on a line, then you can make it more difficult. For example, by having everybody carry a bell. Mm-hmm. And the goal is that nobody should make a sound with their bell. Right? That mm-hmm. takes a lot of focused attention. It's a walking meditation exercise. I was just about to say that's a great mindfulness exercise. Exactly. But you don't have to say we're doing a mindfulness exercise. You say we're playing a game. That's much Um, more appealing. (laughs) Right. Another thing to do that I think improves working memory and sustained attention is to tell your child stories. Because Mm -hmm. if I tell you a story without the pictures on the page or the puppets or the video, you have to hold it all in your head right? You have to hold all that information in mind. You have to relate what I'm saying now to what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. I mentioned a character now. You have to try to remember what I said about that character before. And you have to work at paying attention as opposed to having your attention grabbed by all the beautiful imagery. Yes. So you can tell your child the story about your past or the family history or a nursery rhyme or a folktale or doesn't matter. I love that you also can just tell them a story from your past so that if you're not a super creative person, this is not a prohibitive idea. Right. right. You could even kind of read from a book, but the more you look up and look at your child, the better. And don't show your child the pictures if you want to work their working memory. Mm. At the end of the story, you can show it, but not during the story because you don't want to give them help in holding it in mind. You want to challenge them to hold it in mind. And besides, if you don't see the pictures, you can use your imagination and come up with things that you like, you know, like the beautiful princess looks like me. She never, ever looked like me. She was blonde hair, blue eyed and tall. (laughs) She never looked like me. But if if I don't see what she looks like, I can imagine that maybe in this case, she looks like you. Thank you for listening. For the show notes, you can have a link to Adele Diamond's Cognition Lab. And there are some actionable things that parents can do and tip sheets. Have a good week.